So we're starting a new series today called Opportunities and Options, um, and it's kind of a shameless plug that we are leading into two services, kind of. Uh, but it's mostly, if you look at our t-shirts that have the up and out arrows, this whole series is going to be mostly focused on the out, what we do for others. And so, uh, week one, we're going to start out, and I was always thinking, like, how, how can you start off with something exciting? And I was going to play this for those children of the 90s. Um, but the title of my message today is The Right Stuff. Anyway, for those, it, it, it really, the first little bit, though, just type in New Kids on the Block, The Right Stuff later. Please, not now. Um, and watch that. It's hilarious. My sermon's not about their song, but it is about the right stuff. Because what you focus on matters. Uh, and so what we're going to do today is I'm going to do my best um, to not guilt you. Please, please, like, disclaimer for this whole series. I'm not here to guilt you into doing anything. Because if you're guilted into doing something, you're going to do it the wrong way. My passion for you today is to inspire you to give to something that matters. And that may or may not mean reach community church where you serve. There's lots of great opportunities in the city to serve people. Um, But today I just want to inspire you to do so. So focusing on what matters most is really important. And uh, this last weekend, actually last night, I did a wedding, uh, which is if you know me, not one of my favorite things because this environment I feel okay in. Like I'm not pit sweating right now. Um, weddings, it just like I feel like I'm going to ruin someone's day. I'm going to miss say something and then it's going to be like it's on video and forever it's going to be a loop in their brain of like you ruined our special day. But I got to do a wedding for... Um, He's not really a youth, but he was in my youth group, and I've known him for about 10 or 12 years. They got married at Rocky Point, like 20 minutes from here. Um, And I was at their rehearsal dinner Friday night, and I'm sitting at a table um, with none of these names won't mean anything to you, but a guy named Jonathan and a guy named Josh, and then Alex is the guy that's getting married. And all three of these guys uh, were in and through my youth group, and all three of these guys I spent... um, Years and hours and hours spending time and investing in. And let me just tell you, what we're going to talk about today, we're going to be in Matthew 6, part of um, the Sermon on the Mount, and looking at, you know, how do we get out of this loop of really worrying and focusing on things that don't matter. And a lot of it comes down to this. Jonathan Thornton, which is one of the guys I was sitting in front of, um, he was in my youth group, and he was, man, I mean, They weren't always perfect kids. Uh, But he now uh, is married. They just had their first little girl who's two months old. Uh, He is the youth pastor of the church that I came from, one of my students. And Josh Cox, the other kid that was sitting at the table, and he's not a kid, like literally the last time, like before I left as youth pastor, we were like eye to eye. And now when I give him a hug, I'm literally like pressing my head up against his chest. It's like super weird. It's like... I get on my tiptoes because I feel like, man, I feel like a child. I know how you, you know, vertically challenged people feel now. And, you know, I'm sitting across from Josh, who is, 
you know, uh, loves Jesus, is in a relationship that may lead to marriage, and is serving in our youth group back home, is just faithful to Jesus, loves Jesus. And then I'm here, and it all started because uh, Alex's dad got up and he was just talking about Alex's life, and he turned around and just thanked me uh, for investing in his son and spending time with him and um, it just dawned on me sitting there. This, and of course, this happened Friday night, so this wasn't in my plan to talk about until Friday. That ten years from now, what you worry about and what you're freaking out about for the most part every day, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go, what you're going to have, what you're worrying and spending your time on, ten years from now, none of that stuff will matter. You won't think about your that moment that you had like we do budget every month and i don't know about you people that do budgets but stressful time two days of the month period and i'm looking across the table at these three kids that i spent in time in investing in and they're, they're what matters like the investment that you invest in other people what you pour into other people 10 years from now that's What's going to matter? Because, like, I don't know if you've heard this before or I stole this from somebody else, but the only thing that's eternal that we interact with, the only thing that's eternal is people. Every single person that you interact with that has a soul that will live for eternity. And what we focus on matters. The time that we spend in and with them matters because we're in the business of investing in people that who knows what they're going to do. Next week I get to go to Colorado Springs to visit one of my students who planted a church um, two years ago and is literally knocking it out of the park. I mean, I, I, I would like to claim, and so some of you are like, well, you were a youth pastor, of course, it was your job to invest in. It is our job. If you're in this room and you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Jesus has given you a job to invest in and to love people into the kingdom. And I don't mean just love them, like be kind to them. I mean to teach them, to train them, to give them the good news of the gospel. And ten years from now, what's going to matter is the investment that we had in people. And some of those people's people... Parents are your children. Like the investment now, and I don't know about you, uh, as parents, I have a 17-year-old now, which is really, she's going to be a senior. Like, I don't even know, I know some of you that don't really know me, you're like, how in the world can he have a (laughs) 17-year-old? Oh, I can. Um, And we didn't get married at 12, like some people think. Um, and we have 15-year-old, it just, it's crazy how quickly time goes by. And t- to be completely honest, the Holy Spirit has convicted me time after time again of, of my focus on frivolous things when my children are sitting here right now where I, I can spend time with them, invest in them, because in a minute, for you with young children who feel like that'll never come, in a minute they'll be out of your house. In a minute, they'll be into the world living their life. And our investment in them matters. So the tension in all this is, and the sad part is, and you see this over and over again, if you've been in, interact with the people that are at the end of their life, that they're, they're, they're close to death or they um, you know, have an illness or something that's given them clarity, 
most of them will tell you of the regrets that are surrounded by the relationships or the broken relationships that they they have. And, and our tension today is that if we focus on the wrong thing, that 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, our regret is not going to be those frivolous things that we're spending our time, effort, and energy in. It'll be on the things that we didn't accomplish with people. And this isn't about, you know, get the promotion and all these other things, because none of that honestly matters. So, confession time. Today we're going to talk about anxiety, and what we're not talking about is clinical anxiety or clinical panic attacks. We're just talking about stress that we bring upon ourselves. So if you struggle with anxiety, this is please don't take any guilt or shame out of this. Um, this is our focus on the wrong thing. So confession from me. I'm really anxious about going to two services. Completely honest. It freaks me out. Because I look around the room and go, well, why? Why would you do two services? Doing anything twice usually is dumb. And there's all of this anxiety, but most of the anxiety that surrounds this is fear. To be completely honest, it literally is fear of failing, fear of doing this thing, and it be detrimental to our church. It scares me. I want you to hear this. I want you to understand that I'm not just like, (laughs) I can't wait for you guys and me to do more. I can't wait. Like, and it's not. And 90% of my fear is that it won't go well. And to be completely honest with you, we should have done this 18 months ago. Which, we've been in this building for two years, and 18 months ago, we should have made a leap. But I was afraid, because we had already transitioned away from the middle school into this place, which is great, and I was afraid to make another change. See, it's scary when you try something that might fail. And this is not just two services, lots of things in your life. There's lots of fear that keeps us doing the same thing that we've done before. Lots of fears that keeps us from this good thing because we might fail. But the truth is, everything worth having or living for takes risk. If you're in a relationship right now, you took a risk in making that first connection, making that first conversation. You know, if you're married right now, you made you took a risk to say, this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Everything worth having or living for is going to take risk. And let me just tell you, it was scary planting reach seven years ago. I was in my hometown. My grandparents, my parents, family... We'd been in our house for six, seven years in this one place. Our best friends were there. Comfort was there. I was the youth pastor of a very large church that I wasn't afraid that I was going to get fired over because we didn't have enough money. I I mean, I had a secure paycheck. Everything was good. And then one day I felt like God said, hey, plant a church. And I spent two years fighting with them on that. So it didn't just be like, yes. But it was scary to move here. But the truth is, if, if 
if we didn't move down here, you wouldn't be with us. You wouldn't be in this room. And, and to be honest with you, there's like eight families that took a risk with us that moved here. And, and I don't want you to think, well, well, you know, I, my goal is that you go, thanks, Heath, for coming down here because I, I found a family. I found a place where I feel welcome and loved and I feel I found friends in, in community groups that aren't like what we just saw on the video that, that we share life with. That was a joke just for the record so you don't leave here. If you're new and you've just seen that and you're like, man, <laughs> at least they're honest. Um, you know, but eight families took a risk to uproot their life and move down here to follow the calling of God. And to be completely honest, right now, we're inviting you into taking a risk with us. Because it's going to be risking, to be completely honest, to go to two services. We're going to need people that aren't involved in our church right now to say, I want to commit to helping in our church. And let me just tell you, it's not for me. You don't know this, and this sounds cocky, and this sounds arrogant. But you need us more than we need you. Hear me. And it's not because like, oh, we're great. We don't need you. We need you. I need you. Hear me. But you need this. And, 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 and like I said before, this may not mean you need be serving and reach. You need to be stepping into an area where you're taking a risk to love people through the gospel and in the kingdom. Because in there, we have our reward. Because if I wouldn't have been suckered into youth ministry 17 years ago, I wouldn't have been sitting at a table on Friday night with three guys. And let me just tell you, to find three guys in their 20s that love Jesus and are faithfully following Jesus is difficult. And they do. And I, I would love to take credit for that. And I, I mean, they... they 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 lift me up on uh, more of a pedestal than I probably need to be in. Like I was there and I love them and I encourage them. But that investment is what honestly keeps me going because there's other Jonathans, there's other Joshes, there's other Alexes, there are other Joes that I'm going to interact with that 10, 20, 30 years from now, I'm going to be choked up about what God's doing in their life because of the moment he let me participate in theirs. So we want to invite you to participate in the risk that we're going to get in because it feels better, to be completely honest, when there's more people. Like when we moved down here, and let me just tell you, the eight families that came with us, I didn't ask any of them personally to come with us. Every single family that I reached out to say, hey, come with us, come with us, they all said no. And every single family that moved with us, and I don't know what that says about me. I don't, well, you know, you judge all you want. But the eight families that came down with us literally heard that we were going to plant a church in Leland and were like, we feel like, and they all had their own story of why. But all those eight families stepped into a risk and not even to follow me. Most of them I didn't really know that well before we moved down here. Actually, before we started meeting together, before we moved. And see, the reason why we moved down here is because there's many more. And you'll hear in two weeks, I'm actually going to talk about this idea that there's many in this city that belong to Jesus. 
And the reason why we do what we do every Sunday, the reason why we set up and tear down, the reason why we continue to preach the gospel, the reason why I try to influence you and your small group, community group leaders, try to influence you towards outreach and loving on people is because God has children in this city that are sitting dormant right now. They don't know they're his children. That God's going to call into the kingdom. And there's going to be people in this room six months, a year, two years from now. That are going to be here because of our risk. Your willingness to step into that. And so I've just compelled you of words that have nothing to do with the Bible necessarily. And I want to take you through a text that I feel pushes us in this way of where our focus is. So before we get into the word, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that we have the ability to make change in people's life because it's your work, but you use us. And so, Lord, all those good works that you've placed in advance of us to walk into, Lord, I pray that we would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to move in the direction of the places and people that you've called us into with confidence that you are the one that is capable to bring life to where there was death. And so, Lord, as we work or look into your word, I pray that you would motivate us, not out of guilt or shame, not out of we must to receive your love, but you would motivate us that the greatest thing that we can do with our life is is to set our attention and our affection on you and your kingdom. Because as we fix our eyes on that, our unfocused, our chaotic world begins to make more sense because we're trusting in the God that designed us, that called us, that sacrificed His only Son to make us righteous. So as we look at your words out of one of your greatest sermons or your greatest sermon, I pray that we would hear them from you that you would allow the Holy Spirit, just like those that were sitting on the hill listening to Jesus, listening to these words for the first time, I I pray that they would influence us. That they would motivate us to set our attention and affections on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the text, like I've said, is going to come out of the greatest sermon ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. And disclaimer, this morning is not about the right thing to do. And God will give you everything. Because you, you could take the same text that I'm going to preach you today and be like, if I focus on the kingdom, God will give me everything that I want or desire. Which is not the words that he uses. So that's our Disclaimer. And so before we can get into 25 through 34, which is where we're going to be today, I have to read a little bit of the text beforehand because there's this word at verse 25 that says, therefore. And if there is a therefore, you have to ask yourself, why is it therefore? I stole that from somebody. It sounds really smart, but 
But if there's a therefore or a but, there, you have to understand that it's, it's talking about something else. The because, the for. And so right above this, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, is, is teaching after teaching about what the kingdom of God is going to look like. What Jesus is calling his disciples to think and feel about all kinds of topics. There is everything listed in here. And right above this do not be anxious, what we're talking about today, they're talking about money. And no, this is not a ploy for me to get you to put more in that beautiful little box back there. Because it's not what he's talking about. In verse 19, chapter 6, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Do not lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if you've heard this, but, you know, the thought of it, if, if, if you look through your checkbook or your credit card statement, you can see where your heart and affections are. Because where we put our treasure, there our heart would be. You buy a brand new car, you see them, the nice ones, they're parked on the, the back end of the parking lot where there's no one around them. Because where their treasure is, and I'm not for people dinging your car, okay? But where your treasure is, like, I don't want anybody. I remember my dad, he, he always had, like, beaters growing up. He'd let me borrow them anytime I wanted. <laughs> Drove an Oldsmobile Brom, Broham, for a little bit. Real classy car. Check that out, 80s. But when he got his first, like, kind of newer car, his company car, he would park, like, a mile out at Walmart. I'm like, Dad. It'll be fine. People aren't going to hurt your car. But he's like, nah, no one's going to touch this car. See, to understand the text today, you have to understand that, that God's after something that's inside of us. God's after our heart. And we are a liar to ourselves. Plain and simple. We will lie to ourselves over and over and over again about like, I don't have idols. My treasure is the Lord, although we spend little to no time investing, focusing on spending time with this thing that we say that we treasure. But fill in the blank where all your time is. So in verse 25, so you get this whole section. There's more to that section, but that's the main thrust of it, that if where your treasure is going to be there, your heart will also be. So in verse 25, he says, therefore, so you have to put in context all this other stuff that he's talking about with the heart. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body on what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? See, and we worry about these things all day. Like, most of us never left high school. And don't, you've left high school if you're out of it, hopefully. If you keep going back, they'll arrest you. But most of us never leave that mentality. I, I remember high school, I mean, completely honest with you guys, like, I, I didn't go into the courtyard until, like, my senior year. For those that know Pinecrest, there's a few of in this room, like, I hid in the shadows. Because I was not very popular, and I was afraid of those people. 
that were out there, the cool people, because that's where the courtyard people are. You know where it's at at your school. And I was always worried what people thought of me, what I wore. I remember my freshman year. And this dates me a little bit, though they still make these shoes. My freshman year, and we didn't have any money. Like we were, we, we, we were I mean, we were middle class, but like lower middle class. And, and I remember going my freshman year, I was like, I wanted these pair of Jordans. White Jordans. White shoes are stupid, just for the record. They shouldn't make a white shoe unless it's anti-scuff, stained, and everything else. And I got these white leather Jordans. And my mom paid, I don't know, like 100 maybe $110. And this was in 90, 1990, which is a lot of money. And I remember wearing those shoes to school thinking... I mean, you, when you get a pair, we think like, yeah, like, you know, if you've got that shirt on or those pants on or those shoes on, that you, there's something about the shoe that's going to make you more likable. I invested in soft scrub. Anybody remember soft scrub? A little white towel, and I clean those things religiously. But those shoes, as you can tell, because I got those in my freshman year, I didn't make it into the courtyard until my senior year. They didn't help me. They didn't make me anymore. And, and Jesus is telling us that we're, we've, Focus our effort and attention on all of these things that don't really matter. It does not matter what car you drive right now. Cars are important. You need to get to or fro. I'm glad that you're all wearing clothing, but what you wear, how much you paid for it, doesn't matter. And and if you've looked, the rich people that wear all the things that we admire and wish we had, they have just as many problems as we do, probably more. And these are worries of everyday life that take our attention. How much of our lives are lived with worry about this kind of stuff that we're thinking about? And and think about the original audiences listening to this because they were people, the people that Jesus was talking to, they didn't have health insurance, they didn't have homeowner's insurance, there was no social security, there was no retirement fund or life insurance. There, There was none of these things that so many of us are like trusting in, period. There wasn't any of that. And then Jesus begins to tell them and show them through these illustrations. In verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add one single hour to the span of your life? I mean... Does being anxious, does worry help? No, no, no. And I inherited the worry wart syndrome from my mother. I worry about everything. I worry Sunday afternoons are some of the worst days for me because I'm worried about how this went. Did I say, well, and then I asked my wife, did I say anything dumb? And she usually says, yes. You should have stopped at this one illustration. Let it go. And I, 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 you go, yes, that is correct, baby. And then two weeks later, I do it again. See, the birds of the air, and here's what God's not saying. God's not saying, hey, just sit back, go home, collect a check, you know, like do whatever. Like sit, go to your lazy boy, watch TV all day. Because the birds of the air that he's talking about, what did they do? Are birds lazy? They work, they get up in the morning and they go right to it. They're collecting feed, they're feeding their aunt, their little babies, and which is super cute. Though if you live 
right outside of one. It's not cute because it's really loud. Um, but they're working nonstop. But what they're not doing is they're not focused on tomorrow. They're not going, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get this. I gotta do that because of tomorrow. They're only focused on today. So he's not saying like, hey, God brings every morning this bucket of seed and lays it before them. But God is saying, hey, I provide for them in the environment they're in so that they have what they need, but they still work. And then verse 28, it says, and why are you anxious about clothing? And see, this is 2,000 years ago, and we're still worried about clothing, styles, brands, what, what swoosh or not swoosh or under armor, like all these things. Like I have kids that go to school that it's like it's really important like what thing it says on your shirt, which I get it. Because for those of you that remember, I'm going to date myself a little bit. Anybody remember jams? Any hands? No, okay, okay. I see jams. Like we were so poor when I wanted jams when they were popular and they were these flower they were the ugliest things in the world. They were flowery shorts that everybody had and I wanted a pair and my mom got me and they had a little marker on it that made them jams. It said jams. Mom got me a pair of buddy jams. And I wouldn't wear them. I'm not going to wear them things to school because they weren't jams, but they looked the same. Jams. Man, We're, we worry and think about this. I still am scarred by wearing Adidas soccer shoes to school. And I wasn't a soccer player in like fifth or sixth grade. And, and some kid came up to me and called me a poser. Because they were the indoor, remember the really popular the poser. Never wore them to school again. Because we freak out about all these things that don't really matter. So why are you being anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Does God want you to have clothes? Yes. Do the laws of North Carolina want you to wear clothes in public? Yes. But the worry and stress about those clothes aren't there. See, aren't you more, listen to this, aren't you more important than birds? So God's comparing him to this animal and to this flower, but he's saying, hey, like, this is a lower thing in how much more valuable you are. Verse 31, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So when he's saying the Gentiles, he's saying, Hey, the world is stressed out about this, but not my children. Because you have me. And I'm going to care for you. I'm going to help you. And and there's a big thing here. So this is, you know, do what God says and he gives you what he wants. He's talking about needs. So he's not talking about legit jams, maybe. He might give you buddy jams. He might give you plain shirts with no markers on there of where they came from. But he's going to take care of you. And to be honest with you, sometimes he gives you things that we don't want which is the absence of those things, so that we can be drawn into an affection for Him. Verse 33. 
And here it goes. But, so he's, he just listed out all these things. Don't be anxious about what you wear, what you're going to eat, all these other things. And then in verse 33, he says, this is, so don't do this, and this is the do. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things that everyone else worries about will be added to you. So what do you do to counter out this type of anxiety? And the truth is, and what he's saying here, is to put your focus on the right, and I put thing originally, but put your focus on the right person, which is Jesus. Psalms 105.4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. So what he's saying here is not like, hey, one time, just think about how important the Lord is. It's this present and continuous act of thinking, establishing, realizing, trusting in who Jesus is. Well, how do we do that? We seek him continually. This isn't just about more stuff. There's a guy named Brother Lawrence. If you've not read this book, you can actually download a free PDF of it. It's a great uh, book. It's called The Practicing of the Presence. So he's a monk that was very frustrated with his monk life because he wanted to worship and love God all the time, and they made him do chores. And he was frustrated that he couldn't, you know, he had to, I want to worship and I want to love on God and I want to just soak in his presence and I'm having to wash dishes and, and clean the floor and do these things. And, and God basically, the whole premise of the book is God convicted him, says that you can practice my presence always. When God says that you can do all things unto the glory of him, when he, so he learned when I'm washing dishes, he's worshiping, loving God. When he's cleaning the floor, he's cleaning the floor as worship. That we literally, this set your mind on the kingdom and his righteousness, it is a, we can literally live in this place. And this isn't, look, hear me. I, I like my job, and I don't want you to take it from me. So this is not me calling you to all become full-time ministers. This is me saying anything that you do, you can worship God in it. Unless it's illegal. So let's let's put the, there's some disclaimers on that. For the most part, if you have an honest job and they're making you a paycheck and they're not giving you cash for bags that you take from here to there, you know, for those jobs, you can literally love Jesus, be in his presence there. And you may say, you don't know my boss. You don't know the environment I'm in. I'm saying I'm telling you wrong. The king, the creator, who's sitting at the right hand of the father right now, interceding from you, can handle your work environment, can make it's so that even in that you can worship and praise him. You can literally practice his presence anywhere. When you're spending time with your children, when you're washing your car, when you're mowing your grass, when you're at home, when you're in the word, you can literally continually, because this is an effort in our anxious life, we naturally go there. Like I don't have to tell most people in this room to, you know, to be anxious. It's something we do naturally. We're anxious about what's going to happen and where our next paycheck's coming from and all these other things. It takes effort to not to be anxious. It takes effort to move our, our focus from these things onto Jesus. Colossians 3, um, chapter, I mean, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. 
seated at his right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. He's saying, look, don't quit your jobs. Quit. Do your jobs. Do everything that you do, unless God's going to, you don't need to do that. So, like, disclaimer there, too. But do what you do and say, I I love God. I want to serve Him faithfully in these. And set your minds on the things above and not here. In verse 34, it says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Can I get an amen? Tomorrow, because literally the only the only opportunity for you to bring any change or do anything is today. You can't change tomorrow yesterday unless they bring the DeLorean back. 1985 Back to the Future reference. You can't do anything about tomorrow because tomorrow's not here and you don't know what's going to happen. But what you can do, what you can do is right here. Anxiety comes from two places. Worrying about what you did wrong yesterday. Not literally, literally, we can go and say, Lord, repent, forgiveness, grace of God, live there. We're worrying about what happened here or worrying about what might happen tomorrow. Instead of just going today, I'm going to choose to love people. I'm going to choose to let my affection to be on Jesus because in that, he changes us. So here, here we go. Is this your struggle? Do you resonate with the reality that your life is probably more anxious than it should be? And again, I'm not talking about clinical depression or all those other things. We're just talking about a regular, run-of-the-mill anxiety. Where is your focus? Is Where is your struggle? So where is, the, what are you focused on right now that's causing that struggle and where should it be? And here's the last question before I read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 as our closing prayer. And this is the big thing. Will your investment today, what you sow in today, matter 10 years from now? Because remember what I said at the beginning, the only thing that's going to matter is people. No one's going to look at your portfolio 10, 20, 30 years from now, they might be envious of what you have. But like, what's that going to give you? Is that going to give you peace and joy? Is that going to clarify who Jesus is? No, all of those things. So God's this morning saying, hey, look, where is your focus? And, and all I'm asking, and, and this is going to go on, we have six weeks of this, and, and my, please hear me. We need people. You need us. We want you to serve. But my biggest goal in this series with opportunities and options is the greatest thing that you can do in the kingdom is get involved with what God is doing. And that may not, just like I said at the beginning, be here. I mean, there's so many ministries, Village and Hope downtown. There's so many things that are going on that you can just serve because serving people is where we get to experience God in one of the greatest ways. So how can you change from anxiety, from being anxious about all these things, is to ask for help. Listen to this prayer. See, this is a prayer that um, Paul prayed over his disciples. Ephesians three fourteen through 21. It says, for this reason, this is Paul saying, for this reason, 
I bow my knees before the Father. He's saying, for this reason, I'm praying for you guys. For whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God, now in Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Ask. The one that who is available and able to do exceedingly more than we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Look, there's no secret formula. There's no three-step process. It is literally saying, God, I need you. It is a form of desperation going, God, without you, I'm unable. Without you, I'm going to worry and fret, and my world is going to be filled with these things that years from now won't matter because I let them be my focus. Or we can choose to ask. So I'm going to invite our worship team back up. We're going to go into worship, and we're going to ask. Look, if your life is overtly anxious because of things that you're allowing in your life because you're not focused on the one who wants to bring you life and life abundantly, the best way to do that is to say, God, I, I need you. I need help. I need help to focus today. And the first part of that is seeing God for who he is, what he has done for you. When you understand his love and redemptive power and what he did for you, it is easy for us to go, God, we are grateful for your affections for us. That you pursued us when we were in our sin, that you you gave life to us in the middle of it. God's grace is where we get to live as his children. And so this morning, wherever you find yourself, if you are on the end of the spectrum that you're like, I don't even know about this Jesus, start asking. Go, God, I'm here. I want more of you. I want to live here. And the beauty of what we're talking about in this silly video for community groups is people help. Look, the three boys that I mentioned at, they're men now, the three men that I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, they wouldn't be here without tons of people that invested in their life. Ask. There's people in this room that can help you, guide you through this process, that will love you in and through what's going on, because we need each other. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we, right now, Lord, I, I just declare that It's easy for us to be anxious. It's easy to right now, in spite of the idea that you are good, that you do desire for us to have life and life abundantly, 
that you tell us to seek first the kingdom of his righteousness and you'll, you'll take care of all these other things. It's easy for us to spend our life, our waking hours, worried about this, never trusting you with them. And so, Lord, right now, just like the prayer we just read out of Ephesians, or we asked for your strength. We ask for your power to be able to step into you. To change the way we think, that you would literally begin to rewire our brain the way we process, that, that our first, just like Brother Lawrence, our first thought would be, you're here, you're with me. And then as we get to love you through our action, through that we see your power working in us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would do in us what we were unable to do. And if there's someone in this room that's just struggling with embracing, surrendering you, Lord, I pray that you divinely draw them to you. That you bring them to this place of surrender the most loving, caring God that anyone has ever worshipped. That you became personal to us, that you draw, you ask us, and you draw us into this relationship. And we just pray right now that you would do exceedingly, abundantly more than we ask. So Lord, as we ask for your help, Lord, I pray that we would see you working in and through us. Lord, be honored as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.